This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. For those listening, nothing's changed. For those wanting to watch, you can actually do so now on our YouTube page, uh, The Camp Podcast. Uh, should be able to search it, find it. Going to be posting our uh, video episodes up there, and then also going to be during fall camp post interviews, uh, video interviews from practice and some practice highlights as well. So make sure to uh, check it out and subscribe. We would really appreciate it, right, Jesse? Yes, more more bigger platform, more viewers. It's all good. Right, exactly. Um, you will see that I have a face for radio, and Jesse has the best hair on the beat so we the, the, that's what we're bringing to youtube uh me not so much and jesse perfectly quaffed so uh we got that going uh, plenty to get to here for wisconsin as uh, they had a big week on the recruiting front we'll get to those three guys that committed we'll also uh get into jesse's story on brady collins who as jesse articulates in the story big reason uh that wisconsin are to say that cincinnati had so much success and that uh, Luke Fickle would not have taken this job if Brady Collins wouldn't be coming with him. So um, a really good look at what Brady Collins is bringing to the table. We'll get to that as well. But let's start with the recruiting because it was, as I said, another uh, big week. And I'm trying to think back. Uh, the first one that, that came off the board, and it's actually kind of funny because we were talking about it last week, you know, with the Northwestern situation, what exactly is going to happen with Pat Fitzgerald. And obviously at the time when we talked, was that last Monday that we were talking? Um, yeah, I think, I think it was, I think Anello Lafella was Tuesday and then Dylan Johnson was, uh, was after him. Okay. So I guess, we'll, well, now that I'm already into this, we'll go with, we'll go with Dylan Johnson and then we'll, uh, we'll get into uh, a fellow. Um, But so we were talking about it and I'm like, well, who knows what's going to happen with him. But if, if he's gone, don't you go after Dylan Johnson and uh, you know, a day and a half later, Dylan Johnson decommits from Northwestern commits to Wisconsin. He is a defensive tackle, uh, a guy that was really, really high on Wisconsin's board on the defensive line and kind of surprised. I think quite a few people when he decided to pick Northwestern, I think there was a feeling that Wisconsin was in a good place for him. They obviously stayed in connection with him uh, this, these last couple of months because he committed in May He's also a great wrestler, which obviously connects well with Luke Fickle as well. But Dylan Johnson, a Wisconsin Badger. Well, you nailed this one because as soon as uh, the Northwestern situation occurred, you posed the question about whether Wisconsin could end up getting him. And uh, obviously the Badgers have. I think this one is absolutely massive because it's for, for a number of different reasons. But when we were talking last time, we were discussing Wisconsin's, I don't know if plight is the right word, but that's what I'll use at plight, a defensive line in the 2024 recruiting class. They had gotten a commitment from Hank Weber, a kid from Tennessee, but everybody else that had taken officials started to come off the board and, and commit to other schools. Um, and Liam Andrews was still out there, but was considered a Penn State lean. And you just wondered, is there anybody left? who took an official to Wisconsin and on the defensive line that the Badgers are actually going to get, it started to look like, well, maybe it's not going to happen for Wisconsin. We know they wanted somebody else. Maybe they'd have to wait until there was a transfer portal situation, but then they get Dylan Johnson, who is an absolute load. You mentioned the wrestling success. One of the best heavyweight high school wrestlers in the country 
a two-time state champion in Illinois in Class 2A in the 285-pound heavyweight division. And as you said, there is that tie, Luke Fickle, with the with the wrestling background. And it's funny because when we were talking about uh, my interview with Barry Alvarez uh, last week, one of the things he said he liked so much about Luke Fickle was to have that wrestling and football background because he talked about there's a certain tenacity, uh, a certain way they play. And you can absolutely see it in Dylan Johnson's highlights. He's not some space eater of a defensive tackle. He is absolutely destroying offensive linemen. And he's got a lot more quickness than you would think for a guy that size, which obviously translates well to the wrestling, Matt. He can get into the backfield. He can be an impact player. Uh, and so this this really, to me, shores up the last big question that I think Wisconsin had in its 2024 recruiting class. It's funny because we were kind of talking about running back and defensive line in the last few weeks. They've shored up both in this class and they're up to 20 commits now. The class, uh, as I looked this morning, was ranked 19th in the country, according to 24-7 composite. Um, it has seven four star. Is it seven or eight four seven four star players? Um, Dylan Johnson is not a four star player, but. It feels like that kind of a get because of the need that Wisconsin had along the defensive line. And I, I, when you watch the film, he obviously jumps out. And it's not just because Huddle circles the thing for you so you know exactly where he's at. But he yes. would, like if you didn't take that away, he easily stands out above everybody else. So yes. it's kind of, it was kind of crazy. I, I've said this before because it's something that stuck with me for three or four years, but way back when Saeed Khalif was the director of recruiting at Wisconsin, he would talk about how defensive line was the absolute most difficult position to try to recruit in college because sometimes it was difficult to try to project um, what's this guy going to look like when he gets to college? Will he be an impact player? Will it take several years? Um, and with Johnson, you can just tell, just like you're talking about, Zach, an impact player. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to come in as a true freshman and, and uh, start or something like that, but a quality type of player where you can immediately see how he could fit into Wisconsin's defense. And they're stacking up pieces now. Um, for as much as we've talked about 2024, I don't want to forget how important it was that Wisconsin ended up getting Jamel Howard in the 2023 class. Guys who, when you watch the film and you see them at the high school level, are dominant, and you can see how it can translate to the college game. And I think there are some that would think Dylan Johnson maybe a little underrated uh, mm -hmm. recruiting numbers wise. And it reminds me of a guy who came in as a wrestler, a really good wrestler in high school was a little under uh, underrated coming out of uh, high school and ended up starting for f uh, four years at Wisconsin. And that being Keanu Benton. So, uh, and then getting obviously drafted into the NFL this past year. I'm not saying that's who he's going to be, but uh, there, there is some history of it happening at Wisconsin in terms of a guy who's really, really good at wrestling, a little bit underrated on the football field, and uh, is going to uh, be a load um, on the football field. That said, the difference between those two is he's still going to try and wrestle in college. And I think the weight thing is interesting because um, there's a limit as to what a heavyweight can weigh in, in uh, college wrestling. How does that fit, do you think? I honestly have no idea because you're talking about Keanu Benton, who was an outstanding wrestler in Janesville. Um, I think the, the runner up in heavyweight for a couple of years, but devoted all his time to football once he got to Wisconsin and turned into an NFL draft pick. And the, the wrestling situation, I, I just can't imagine somebody staying at 285 pounds if you're going to be uh, a nose guard or, or even playing the defensive line in general in the Big Ten. Um, and the other thing in general is just the schedule we we've heard and we've, we've talked about guys who can come in and play football and then run track in the spring. 
the wrestling schedule is a little bit different. If you look at the Badger schedule, it starts the, the the matches start in November and December. And obviously you could work your way into it in January, February, March. But those are also really important moments if you're a part of the football program for the offseason conditioning. And um, certainly a player of, of Johnson's talent and, and with Luke Fickle's background can understand why they would uh, be okay with him pursuing wrestling. But I, I really do wonder how that could work out when you've got schedules that overlap and just the body types that you need for both. Because, I again, defensive line, if you can be that dominant, you would expect somebody to be 300-plus pounds. At least, in my mind, I would. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it plays out. The, uh, the limit is 285 for heavyweight wrestling. And, again, I never wrestled, but I uh, was certainly around guys that did. And their weight during the day was one thing, and their weight when they were going to wrestle was another thing. Uh, but having to consistently cut weight is not obviously an easy thing to do when you're trying to max out football as a, as a uh, something in college too. We'll see how it plays out. Interested to see how it plays out. Wisconsin got a good one in Dylan Johnson. Um, you mentioned that the, uh, the other commit before him uh, was uh, Anneli LaFelle. Is that how you say it? That works for me. All right, good. He had, so Wisconsin has had two guys, with elite, no, we don't use the word elite on this podcast. Two amazing ways to announce their commitment. We saw that obviously with Emilio Agard and how he did it. And then LaFelle came and was on that level. Didn't need as much, right? He didn't need to go find a Bucky to come out to a school, but he's from Hawaii, an amazing background there, the ocean. Um, and if anybody hasn't seen it, like just, just go Google it. You'll find it. And he put, uh, he had four different guys, had hats on as finalists. And one by one, he just started pushing them into the ocean, pushing in the ocean, pushing the ocean. The, they came down to Hawaii and Wisconsin. And a guy comes out of nowhere and drills the guy with, <laughs> with the uh, Hawaii hat on. And obviously the only guy left standing, the kid from Wisconsin. Outstanding way to announce your commitment and very, very Hawaii to just be out there on a boat with your parents and your buddies. Um, this is one that uh, I think had been coming down the pike for a while when we were having our conversation last week. You, you could have put the uh, the commitment watch at 95 percent, 98 percent, because he took his official a month earlier and obviously liked what he saw. I think it's fascinating because. Normally, you would say, how does a kid from Hawaii end up coming to Wisconsin? But this all started with Nick Herbig, who was willing to take a chance on a place like Madison, came for his official visit with his family and ended up picking the Badgers, starts as a true freshman, three years later, becomes an NFL draft pick. And I remember talking to Nick Herbig's mom about this decision um, after Nick had committed. Like, why? <laughs> why would you come from Hawaii to Madison, Wisconsin, and Big Ten football? And they they obviously have a family with an older brother who's an offensive lineman in the NFL. So they know the drill and they know how this works. But she said, when you go to the NFL, you don't get to pick the team that you play for. You're going to end up playing in cold weather games and truly prophetic because Herbick now a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, along with his older brother. I just thought that was so interesting. But Herbick's success played a big role in the deciding to come to Wisconsin. There's a blueprint right there. Here's a kid from Hawaii who put in the work, who was extremely talented, a four star prospect. And did everything he needed to do in three years. And um, I give actually the previous staff a lot of credit for ending up with LaFella being so interested in Wisconsin because Bobby April, the, the previous outside linebackers coach, 
when he was talking to Anello, he saw a lot of Nick Herbig in him, um, a lot of that skill set and talent, ability to get off the edge and to, to be disruptive. And uh, so that's kind of how it started. But obviously, this new staff saw great value in him, was able to continue that relationship. And now Wisconsin is able to have a bookend here at outside linebacker with LaFelle. And then they have Thomas Heiberger. So they they really wanted somebody to pair with Heiberger, and they've got it. They do. And it obviously, Nick Herbig is his own guy, but he also was very intrigued by the by the idea of TJ Watt, right? Like that was yes. also, I think, a part of Nick Herbig's uh, decision. And now it comes all the way around. And now Nick Herbig is his presence and what he was able to do is in, is impacting guys' decisions three years later. So I think it, that's, I mean, that's what tradition's about, right? That's what having a tradition of being a very good edge player and very good outside linebackers is. It's guys being like, I see that. I think I can be that down the road and we'll see what happens with uh Lafelli, but very good player and, and, a, and a really good get and it continues as you mentioned obviously Nick Herbig and Tresh Kekahuna and um uh Kamoi Latu like they have starting to add up and yeah. I and again it's a great it's like for what it is Hawaii has a lot of really good talented players that come out of there all the time yeah, it, I mean, it had to start somewhere. Obviously, it started with Herbig, and that allowed them to get Latu because they were buddies, and Latu ended up transferring to from Utah to Wisconsin, and and Tretch Kekahuna maybe ended up be, will end up being one of the sleeper picks in the twenty twenty three class because um, he's got a chance to do some damage as a as a speedy slot guy. But you have four guys from from Hawaii, and the more success you have, the more you're able to have future players say, "Hey, I want to be a part of that too," and that's how you develop pipelines. Yeah, shout out to James Kamuku along with uh, Dominic Riola as well. Uh, excuse me, Donovan Riola um, as guys also from Hawaii that I don't want people to be like, oh, they just started getting Hawaii guys with Nick Herbig. No, they've they, they've they've dabbled there before, but uh, it's a little bit more uh, evident or more in your face now um, that uh, they've continued to get one almost every other class here or every class, I should say. So uh, that is uh, LaFelle. And then the third one to commit was running back Dylan Jones. This one, you weren't really sure. I think if he was allowed to commit, it would have been happened, or I shouldn't say allowed, but if if it were, it felt like something that would have happened a lot earlier, but they maybe they were just trying to decide whether they wanted three or not. But they got three running backs now uh, in this class, and Dylan Jones, the highest rated of them, the uh, four-star recruit, their top-rated recruit in the class now. Really impressive kid out of Maryland. Yeah, this is, uh, for people who were, wondering what was going on with running back uh they've solved the problem <laughs> in about a month uh the, it's very unusual to get three running backs in one class they they've got Gideon Atuka who committed first and then uh obviously Darian Dupree and now they've got Jones but it makes a lot of sense just because if you look at the roster they're wasn't going to be a whole lot left after this season with Ches Malusi using up his eligibility um obviously we know that Braylon Allen is likely going to pursue the NFL draft. And that was going to leave them with three scholarship returning running backs, guys who at least at this point haven't done a whole lot. Jack Snaker, the most experienced, a starting fullback who's transitioned to running back, Cade Yacomelli, and then the incoming freshman in Nate White, the, the kid out of Milwaukee. But now you've got six scholarship running backs for 2024, three guys that this staff feels like can complement each other. I don't know how carries will end up being distributed with that many, but people who have different skill sets and to get, to get three running backs 
two four-star prospects. Uh, it says a lot about what this staff has been able to do in recruiting. And also two of those guys happen to be Maryland prospects. So um, it shows that they can get people from the regions where they've got strong ties. Colin Hitchler continues to be outstanding. I think seven of the 20 guys in this class now uh, are have him as the primary recruiter. But Dylan Jones, uh, another absolute load, plays in a shotgun spread system. Uh, somebody who's not, you know, I think he's like 5'11", 180 or something like that, but looks at least based on the film that he can do a little bit of everything, has the speed and the power. And it's certainly extremely intriguing to see what the future could hold at running back with all those guys together. Yeah, have a recruiting cycle, Colin Hitchler, huh? <laughs> right? This is a I mean, timer that I can remember from a Wisconsin assistant. I mean, it's and it's not like it's like just a bunch of three-star guys or like lower lower ranked guys. I mean, Kevin Haywood, Emilio Agar, Dylan Jones, go on down the list. I mean, it's it's a, an impressive list. Um, in terms of what Dylan Jones brings to the table, in terms of how he complements Darian Dupree and Gideon Atuka, what do you think? It's hard to fully say until actually have a chance to to see him. I think it, it feels like he's a little bit of a combination of it all. Um, there's a reason why he's the highest rated recruit. Um, Atuka, again, 225 pounds, at least at this point. To me, I think more of that downhill type of guy. But um, I, I feel like Dupree and Jones have some similarities um, just in, in their style of play. Um but I uh, I think this is uh, going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds because I think most people would have been happy just with Dupree, but to then end up getting Jones as well, um, it, it says a lot. Obviously, Jones, um, I think he was, I mean, his recruitment was interesting, at least in June, because he took his official in the third weekend in June to Madison, and then no one really heard anything more from him. He was interested in Maryland and Florida State, but wasn't going on social media touting a bunch of new offers or visits. So it was pretty clear that he was extremely high on Wisconsin. I think it, it says a lot on, on both sides that he ends up committing um, knowing full well that there's already two running backs in Madison. Do you think they bring in three? If one of them is not okay with it, like say Darian Dupree's like, yeah, I'll commit, but I'm not going to commit. If you're going to take three, do they, no. do you think even, ha- do you think he even has the ability to do that? Well, um, I guess he does. I guess he does. Yeah, you look until you until you sign your national letter of intent, which now in the early signing period is December. You do have some leverage. And I think especially if you're the guy who maybe you could say it was one A and one B in terms of how Wisconsin viewed who the top running back on the board was. But strictly from how long have you been recruiting this guy uh, standpoint? Dupree had been the guy because, as I said, they they were recruiting him all along. They offered him in late December. He came in January for junior day. He came again in the spring, came again for the, the official visit in June. So he was somebody that they really wanted. But I mentioned this before when I talked to Dupree after he committed, I said, how do you feel about the fact that there is another running back in the class? could potentially be another running back. And he said that he was all for it. And he actually embraced the opportunity to potentially be a part of some type of duo where he felt like they could complement each other and make each other better. Um, And you could say that's a cliche coach speak type of answer, but he's the one making this decision and he knows what's going on. He's paying attention to the roster and who's committing. And so that's something that appeared to excite him. So absolutely. I think that had to be part of the equation, but also you want people who are, selfless players uh who who want to be a part of competition otherwise i don't know why you would embrace them as a part of your team so um dupree obviously felt very strongly about wisconsin and the other thing here is 
Michigan was another school that really interested him and they had multiple running backs too. So maybe it was just something about the way he believed he fit at Wisconsin and the other guys that were coming in that, that swayed him in this direction. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll see what you mentioned duo. Uh, we'll see what, how this plays out, but I mean, Devon Spalding, Devin Spalding, the, the running backs coach tweeted out a picture of, uh, the, the famous picture of James White, Melvin Gordon, and Corey Clement getting ready to go out on the field. So that's his trio. That's a solid trio. But I would say that the number three running back was at that, at that time when it was Corey, it was largely uh cleanup time. So uh, it's an incredible trio, but I, I, I don't know how much. And maybe maybe it'll be different in an offense like this. Uh, there's enough room for two guys to be dominant. Uh, a third, we'll have to wait and see. But either way, you've got to be. If you're a Badgers fan, you've got to be extremely excited about what is happening here with this 2024 class. It's Luke Fickle's first full cycle, and you had mentioned they've got seven composite four-star players. That's only happened once before in the in the uh, in internet recruiting rankings era in 2021. So they're not quite done yet, but they're they're about wrapped up here for 2024. And I don't, I think you couldn't have asked for much more based on who they've been able to get at some key positions. Definitely. So they're as you said, they're at they're at 20 in terms of the number. Uh, they're going to add more, obviously, and I'm sure they're after some of the guys that have already committed uh, other places. A guy like a Dominic Nichols, still tra- uh, still potentially chasing him at, despite his commitment to Michigan. Speaking of having uh, a ton of commits at one spot, Michigan has eight defensive linemen in their 2024 class. How is that possible? I don't know. I haven't studied their roster. It feels like a lot, unless the cupboard was absolutely bare. Which is a possibility, but that's a lot. That is a lot. So the, the chances that all eight end up in Ann Arbor feels a little, feels a little uh, low. And if Wisconsin somehow could flip Dominic Nichols, it'd be obviously a, a huge thing. I don't think they're going away on that one. I think they're probably sticking after that one, just like they probably did with Dylan Johnson. Like they're not going away type of thing. Um, and if something happens, they're there for uh, a guy to pick. So, that's uh that's a look at the recruiting. Let's switch gears here and go into uh, your story on Brady Collins, the strength and conditioning coordinator for Wisconsin. Uh, came over from um from Cincinnati with Luke Fickle, and it's a move that Fickle says he would not have made without Brady Collins. And it's not just Brady Collins. Before we get into that, he's got a huge staff and a really really good staff. Most most of which, actually all of which, were uh, at Cincinnati with him, and now they're they're here. Um, they kind of cleaned house just like they did uh, in the assistant coaching aspect of it. They also kind of cleaned house uh, when it came to the uh, strength and conditioning staff, not clean house. Clean house is a horrible way to say it. Um, they they decided to go with all the guys that they knew and uh, kind of went away from what had been in, in the uh, strength and uh, conditioning department. But Brady Collins interjects a ton of energy. Um, I feel like, we've heard a ton about Brady Collins, but what's the one thing that stood out to you in doing this story that makes him different? Well, I think every time there's a new strength coach at any program ever, you get the strength coach coming in to change the culture and uh, you know, here's how he's going to do it. And here's what's different. And that's all true. And, And that goes into this too. It's definitely the level of intensity that he brings and i also think it's the level of accountability um like those are the two things in addition to everything else that's in the story and that i'm i I mentioned before that that really stand out and anybody who's been around brady or seen the videos and i know that the wisconsin football department was 
making sure to to uh, share on social media some of those moments from Squat Fest, but you can hear the passion and enthusiasm in, in his voice, which was a little hoarse. Maybe it's permanently hoarse because that's just how he is. Um, but um, just making sure that players understood how important it was to, to be a part of the team. And there's a moment that I think stands out from, and, and you had asked me about Squat Fest and in my experience a, a week or two ago. And I, I only shared some because I hadn't fully written this Brady story and I wanted to save it. But um, late in the in the squat fest, they had to do something called finishers and um, which sounds like it is. There was a couple minutes left and they had to do something really, really difficult. And it was a situation where all the players were laying on the ground. They had to keep they, they were shoulder to shoulder, locked arms. They had to keep their legs like six inches off the ground. Um, and Brady wanted to see who, who was going to complain, who was going to give up, or who was going to be a leader and, and lift each other up. And he said, what's our big thing about finish? And he called on Chimray DK, who's one of the leaders, and, and Chimray said, one in four, coach. And obviously, that's something that Luke Fickle has stressed from the moment he got here, that Wisconsin was one in four in games decided in the fourth quarter last season. Um, and Brady said, never bleeping again. Um, and uh, it's just little moments like that where – he, he wants to instill the value of competition, but he also wants everybody to be accountable to each other and understand that what you're doing right now is going to have a significant impact when you get into those games. You may not realize it now, but you will later. So um, th there's a number of directions I could go with that answer, but that's that's the thing that stands out most to me. He is a uh, a fascinating individual, but what is it about him that Luke Fickle likes so much that he wouldn't maybe not have taken this job without? Yeah. Well, Luke has said uh, since the get go that and I, I don't I mean, if Brady was like, yeah, I'm going to stay at Cincinnati, would Luke have just been uh, like, you know what, I'll stay at Cincinnati forever, too. I, I don't know. But I, I the thing is, Brady was going to go wherever Luke went. Um, there's this sort of um, symbiotic relationship or whatever, where they, they, they are lockstep. And Luke has said that we see eye to eye and what it takes to build football players. And with Brady, it's an interesting backstory because um, the real the moment where Brady says he hit the jackpot was in, in 2015. So he had been an assistant strength coach at Mississippi State, ends up getting hired at Ohio State uh, to be an assistant strength coach under Mickey Mirati. And, and Brady is from Columbus. So this was a big time move for him. But Mirati put each of his assistant strength coaches with a different position group. And the idea, it goes back to that level of accountability, but an assistant could have eyes on a specific position group. And you just had a better sense as a strength staff of what was going on. Well, Brady got put with the linebackers and Luke Fickle was coaching the linebackers at that time. And I think Luke really, he took to Brady because of how hard Brady worked, but of how much Brady cared about the players um, the way, and it's the typical stuff you would probably do as a strength coach, but you know, he would make sure they were hydrated and fed and taped, but he would, he would go the extra mile. Brady told me a story where he would just like sit there in the meeting rooms when everyone else was out of practice. And he would make these PowerPoint presentations where he would stick people's heads on other people's bodies, but it may sound silly, but it was a way to break up the monotony of what can be a grind of a season. And all those things rolled into one really impressed Luke. And he saw the dedication that Brady had to developing these players and as soon as uh, Luke took the Cincinnati job, he he asked Brady if he would come with him as the head strength coach. And, and Brady went with him because he trusts Luke and he understands the vision that Luke has. And it was part of the same reason why Brady ended up coming with Luke to, to Wisconsin. But think back to the first time that Luke talked to us after he got hired. He said that the two big pillars, the most important things would be the strength department and the recruiting department. And what did he do? He immediately brought his top guys with him in those two areas. And we've seen the significant progress that Wisconsin has made in both those areas in the first seven months. How big of a deal is a strength 
and conditioning coach. How big of a deal can it be for a program and, and like a difference maker for a program, do you think? And how big of a difference is there? I mean, look, there there are different ways of going about things. And there's certainly a difference between the way Wisconsin used to go about things and the way they go about things now. But how big of a difference do you think it makes? Can it make? Uh, I think it's everything. Um, I don't want to I don't want to overstate it. Um, position coaches are obviously extremely important, too. But those players spend more time around the strength coach than maybe anybody, um, particularly in the offseason. And um, I mean, I had a chance to talk to Jake Renfro about this, who obviously was at Cincinnati when Brady was there. Now he's transferred to Wisconsin. Um, and I talked to Jake's dad. Uh, it was for a story about Jake himself, but it ended up becoming a discussion about Brady. Um, Jake's dad said that um, Jake basically considers Brady to be like his best friend because of how much time they spend together or have spent together over the years. And when Jake got hurt, Brady was the one he talked to and they came up with a plan together. But I didn't include some of this in the story. When I talked to Brady for over an hour, he mentioned how important it was just to keep the weight room open, even on even in days. And, and when I was talking to him, it was the middle of June. So there wasn't a lot going on, but guys can come in and um, that's their sanctuary and they can spend time together talking. And maybe it ends up becoming a conversation that stretches into lunch. So nobody knows those players as well as Brady. Um, and he is able to develop a specific plan for them based on their needs. And so I just think, Everything that happens behind the scenes that oftentimes we don't get to see translates into what happens on the field. And Brady is there for all of it. So, I mean, that's obviously what Luke sees. And that's why he understands why Brady is so important. And yes, there are areas that he is changing. And I know that's been well documented. It's included in the story as well. The tempo is much faster. He doesn't want a guy bench pressing and then waiting two minutes to do his next set because that's not what you're going to do on the football field, especially if you're on the offensive side and you're in this up-tempo system, you're going to be go, go, go every 20 seconds. So uh, he's changed the way that they lift, the types of lifts that they do. But I think it's more just how much time he spends with those guys behind the scenes. It is, It truly is everything, I think, in building what Wisconsin can be as a program. We'll see what it, what it plays out on the field, right? We'll see how it comes to fruition, what it looks like when it's actually on the field as uh, they get spring or excuse me fall camp we saw it in spring i think there was an increased effort or actually effort increased speed um i thought that there certainly was i thought there was it was moving things a lot faster not just physically but mentally things were happening faster as well and uh we saw that was i think that was a pretty significant change from the previous staff and we'll see how it plays out when they get on the field for the start of fall camp coming up on august 1st uh, before that, though, there is Big Ten Media Days, and they announced this past week who would be going for them, and I think it kind of signals who they expect to be leaders on this team. Braylon Allen, uh, a junior, don't always take juniors, but they took a junior in Braylon Allen. They're also bringing Tanner Mordecai, which I think is an, another example of his leadership as well. And then Mumajong Mehta, who I think is one of the more thoughtful and considerate speakers. He always takes time to think about how he wants to answer a question before he actually answers it. So those three guys are coming and then also obviously Luke Fickle as well. Um, do you have like anything like a, a, like of those three guys, which one is like the most interesting to you going into the big 10 media days? And I know that there's so much more to big 10 media days than just talking to those three guys, right? Like you're there's uh, opportunities with, to talk to everybody in the conference, but uh, of those three guys, anything that stands out? Well, I certainly think from a national perspective, it's going to be Tanner Mordecai and a Big Ten perspective. I might go with that as well, simply because I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him much. 
the way it's set up, uh, and he was obviously somebody who enrolled it in the middle of the year so he could participate in spring practice. We got a chance to talk to him one time for about 10 or 15 minutes in a group setting because the way Wisconsin does it in the spring, you talk to players based on the position group. So look, he's not, he doesn't strike me as somebody who is um, the most excited to talk to reporters. Um, he just is one of those guys who goes about his business and does his thing. But I'm interested and eager to hear from him, maybe, hopefully, in a one-on-one -on -one type of setting or at least in a smaller group um, because I haven't had a chance to talk to him very much. Muma and Braylon, because they were leaders last year, because they were the best at what they did at their positions, we talked to them quite frequently. That doesn't mean I'm not interested in talking to them uh, at Big Ten Media Day, but I think there is more of an intrigue factor with Tanner because we haven't seen him play a game at Wisconsin. He's the one who's supposed to help transform this offense in year one under Phil Longo. Um so I want to know what he has to say about that. I would agree. Again, I just I, I think Muma is an interesting fellow as well, just because of what he went through to get to the point where he is. And I, you know, I mean, you think about the things that he went through early in his career to now be um, thought of. And I would assume I mean, I, I guess I don't know, but it feels like a captain here coming into yeah. his senior year. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely think so. I mean, I think the guys that they're bringing end up being the captains because look, look at last year, the three that they brought, Nick Herbig, Keanu Benton, Graham Mertz, those were the three co-captains, so it wouldn't surprise me in the least. And and to your point about Muma, I will say this. I actually remember talking to him when he was in high school for a story before he came to Wisconsin, and I remember thinking then that this is one of the most articulate, well-spoken, intelligent high school players I have ever talked to. Um, that's not hyperbole. That's you know been doing this like 12, 13 years covering the Badgers. And uh, just a, a brilliant mind. Obviously, his uh, his academic scores were outstanding, but he was telling the story about how he, he was an eighth grader and he saw a kid who was from his high school come back to talk to them, who was playing for Northwestern, and he realized that was a moment that he wanted to play football. Um, just a really smart kid. And, uh, and yes, you can see that reflected in how he answers questions still. Yeah, for sure. So we'll be at Big Ten Media Days next week. We'll, we'll be doing a show again on Monday. Um, I will, I wanted to announce now, well, announce stupid, uh, but just give you a heads up, uh, have a little bit of a, a fun series coming here in the next uh, week or so. I, it is the 30th anniversary of the big 10. I should say it's the 30th anniversary of Wisconsin's 1993 Rose bowl team. And I, I feel like this whole thing, this series is kind of going to be for people my age and older, but I don't really care because I, it was fun to do it for myself. Uh, but it's a, it's a four part series with different perspectives of what that season was like. And I was uh, talking to several people and you'll meet those people uh, as we, uh, as I put that series out here in the next uh, week or so, as I said, but yeah, it's about the 1993 football team, the first Rose bowl run, the one that they made after 31 years of not being in Pasadena. And uh, Jesse, I know you're well-versed in it because you did a great story. Was it 2015, maybe way back when 20, 2015. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be, uh, what would that have been? Twenty-five years since uh, Barry Alvarez's first season. Yep, uh, at yeah. Wisconsin so, was the setup for it, right? So, and that was like a, that was an oral history of how he turned the program around, leading into obviously what they did in '93 uh, and winning the role, winning the Big Ten, and then winning the Rose Bowl. But, um, and I know they they got the whole group together five years ago when it was the 25th anniversary and introduced them in 2018. So, um, but this to me was was special because I I. I was only 12 at the time, but uh, it, it's certainly something that imprinted on my mind and 
Um, it's something I think about often when uh, we went to Pasadena back in 2019, went up to where I had sat as a kid. So it was pretty cool. And to do this was uh, a lot of fun as well. So that's going to be coming out here over the next week or so. Again, please subscribe to our YouTube and uh, watch on there. Just let it run. Like even if you don't want to watch it, just just let it run. We'll we'll take that view as well. Um, but uh, yes, so we appreciate it. We'll be back next Monday. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.